This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 378, January the 11th, 1997. <clears throat> Today I'm going to do something a bit different. I'm going to discuss a subject that I think is very important, far more important than people realize. It has to do with language, specifically poetry. Language has coarsened considerably in my lifetime. Everyday speech is coarse. We hear things in public that were never permitted when I was younger. I believe there are two reasons for the coarsening of language. The primary one, of course, is that there is less Bible reading. People are not allowing the Word of God to purify their mind and speech. Another is the growing absence of poetry. In my <clears throat> childhood and in my school days through high school, poetry had an important part in education. The very first primary books uh, or textbooks had a great deal of poetry. Some of it was uh, simplistic, <clears throat> twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder uh, where or what you are, I don't remember specifically, Little Boy Blue and others. But in grade school I was introduced to whole plays of Shakespeare and much more. In fact, uh, my cousin, who was two years older than I, in a country school with two teachers, was introduced to far more advanced material than I was. There has been a gradual depreciation of education. One of the things that uh, especially has dropped out to a considerable extent is poetry. Now, one of the sad facts is that poetry in our time is assumed to be rather effeminate, and it has become that in too many instances. Some, not all, of the romantic poets were very important in the feminizing of poetry. There was a masculine reinvigoration in the first 30-some years of this century, but that, to a considerable extent, has disappeared. I'm going to read some poems that I believe are well worth knowing. The first will be by a very masculine poet, Vachel Lindsay. Vachel Lindsay came from a Salvation Army background. He was used to open-air street meetings. He believed that poetry should go back to the days when bards recited poetry publicly. It was recited rather than read. 
He tried that, and he failed. But all the same, he produced a vigorous type of poetry. One of my favorites is his General William Booth Enters Heaven. As Lindsay wanted this, it was to have been accompanied by drums, banjos, flutes, and also tambourines. It is his account of General William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, entering heaven, an old blind man. Booth led boldly with his big bass drum, Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The saints smiled gravely, and they said, He's come. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Walking lepers followed rank on rank, lurching bravos from the ditches dank, drabs from the alleyways and drug fiends pale, minds still passion-ridden, soul powers frail. Vermin-eaten saints with moldy breath, Unwashed legions from the ways of death, Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Every slum had sent its half a score The round world over. Booth had groaned for more. Every banner that the wide world flies Bloomed with glory and transcendent dyes. Big-voiced lassies made their banjos bang. Tranced fanatical, they shrieked and sang, Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Hallelujah! It was queer to see bull-necked convicts with that land make free. Loons with trumpets blowing blare, blare, blare. On, on upward through the golden air are you washed in the blood of the Lamb. Booth died blind, and still by faith he trod, eyes still dazzled by the ways of God. Booth led boldly, and he looked the chief, eagle countenance in sharp relief, beard of flying, air of high command, unabated in that holy land. Jesus came out from the courthouse door, stretched his hand above the passing poor. Booth saw not. But let his queer ones there round and round the mighty courthouse square. Yet, in an instant, all that blear review marched on spotless, clad in raiment new. The lame were straightened, withered limbs uncurled, and blind eyes opened on a new sweet world. Drabs and vixens in a flash made whole. Gone was the weasel head, the snout, the jowl. Sages and sibyls now, and athletes clean, rulers of empires, a forest green. The hosts were sandaled, and the wings were fire. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? But their noise played havoc with the angel choir. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
Oh, shout salvation. It was good to see kings and princes by the lambs set free. The banjos rattled and the tambourines jing, jing, jingled in the hands of queens. And when Booth halted by the curb for prayer, he saw his master through the flag-filled air. Christ came gently for the robe and crown for Booth the soldier, while the throng knelt down. He saw King Jesus. They were face to face. And he knelt a-weeping in that holy place. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Well, a little more now on uh, poetry. I believe that we need to understand what poetry is. It is verbal music. Now, music requires a variety of tempo, of beat, and of feeling. This is why poetry also requires it. An outstanding historian of the last century, William uh, or Macaulay, uh, I was going to say Thackeray, but it was Macaulay, the historian, wrote some interesting poems. He's best known for his Horatio at the Bridge, which when I was a boy was memorized by a great many boys. In fact, when I went to school, we were recommended to get uh, a book of poetry, 101 famous poems, and most of us did buy copies of it. And there were a number of po poems in it, especially Macaulay's Horatio at the Bridge, that most of the boys memorized. They also memorized his uh, uh, the poem uh, Hiawatha, and I can remember very well boys in their teens often uh, for the sheer fun of it shouting out the lines of Hiawatha by the shores of Gitche-Gumi by the shining big sea water stood the wigwam of Nokomis, daughter of the moon Nokomis, and so on and on. Well, I'm going to turn instead to my favorite Catholic poet, a very m marvelous poet, Francis Thompson. He had a very difficult life. Very early on, he became tubercular and was hospitalized. In those days, they were not aware of the uh, dangers of 
uh, opium. They did not believe it to be habit-forming, and before they knew it, Francis Thompson, the patient, was addicted to opium. When he was released from the hospital, he lived in the streets, slept in doorways, and his great poem, The Hound of Heaven, was written on butcher paper, which he found in the street. Well, I'm going to turn first to his The Kingdom of God in No Strange Land. The point he makes here is that we live in God's world. We do not see things such as angels or Christ's presence, but they are always there. The kingdom of God in no strange land. O world invisible, we view thee. O world intangible, we touch thee. O world unknowable, we know thee. Inapprehensible, we clutch thee. Does the fish soar to find the ocean? The eagle plunge to find the air that we ask of the stars in motion, if they have rumor of thee there. Not where the wheeling systems darken and our benumbed conceiving soars. The drift of pinions would we hearken. Beats at our own clay-shuttered doors. The angels keep their ancient places, turn but a stone and start a wing. Tis ye, tis your estranged faces that miss the many-splendored thing. But when so sad thou canst not sadder cry, and upon thy so sore loss shall shine the traffic of Jacob's ladder, pitched between heaven and Charing Cross. Yea, in the night my soul, my daughter, cry, clinging heaven by the hems, and lo, Christ walking on the water, not of Gennesareth, but Thames. Well, another beautiful poem by Francis Thompson that I am fond of was written as though a little child were thinking about Jesus. The Maynells took in Francis Thompson, and he often babysat for them. And in this poem, it is as though a small child is reflecting on Jesus. Little Jesus, wast thou shy once, and just so small as I? And what did it feel like to be out of heaven and just like me? Didst thou sometimes think of there and ask where all the angels were? I should think that I would cry for my house all made of sky. I would look about the air and wonder where my angels were. And at wake, waking, twould distress me, not an angel there to dress me. Hadst thou ever any toys like us little girls and boys? 
And didst thou play in heaven with all the angels that were not too tall with stars for marbles? Did the things play, can you see me through their wings? And did thy mother let thee spoil thy robes with playing on our soil? How nice to have them always new in heaven, because t'was quite clean blue. Didst thou kneel at night to pray? And didst thou join thy hands this way? And didst they, did they sometimes tire being young and make the prayer seem very long? And didst thou like it best that we should join our hands to pray to thee? I used to think before I knew that prayer not said unless we do. And did thy mother at the night kiss thee? And fold the clothes in right, and didst thou feel quite good in bed, kissed and sweet, and thy prayer said. Thou canst not have forgotten all that it feels like to be small, and thou knowest I cannot pray to thee in my father's way, when thou wast so little say, couldst thou talk thy father's way? So a little child come down and hear a child's tongue like thy own. Take me by the hand and walk and listen to my baby talk. To thy father show my prayer, he will look, thou art so fair, and say, O father, I thy son, bring the prayer of a little one. And he will smile, the children's tongue has not changed since thou wast young. Well, as I said, his great work was the Hound of Heaven. And it is one of the greatest poems in the English language. It is written in... Uh, terms of the psalm that speaks of God pursuing, relentlessly pursuing man who is trying to flee from him. It was a theme taken up by Augustine in his Confessions. And again by Francis Thompson who portrays God like a hound, pursuing him, a criminal, running from God. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him an underrunning laughter. Upvisted hopes I sped, and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee. 
who betrayest me. I pleaded outlaw-wise by many a hearted casement curtained red, trellised with intertwining charities. For though I knew his love who followed, yet was I sore dread, lest having him I must have naught beside. But if one little casement parted wide, the gust of his approach would clash it too. Fear wist not to evade, as love wist to pursue. Across the margin of the word world I fled, and troubled the gold gateways of the stars, smiting for shelter on their clanged bars. Fredited dulcet jars and silvern chatter the pale ports of the moon. I said to dawn, be sudden, to eve, be soon. With thy young sky blossoms, heap me over from this tremendous lover. Float thy vague veil about me, lest he see. I tempted all his servitors, but to find my own betrayal in their constancy. In faith to him, their fickleness to me, their traitorous trueness and their loyal deceit, to all swift things for swiftness did I sue. Clung to the whistling mane of every wind, but whether they swept smoothly fleet the long savannas of the blue, or whether thunder-driven they clanged his chariot thwart a heaven, flashy with flying lightnings round the spurn of their feet. Fear wist not to evade as love wist to pursue. Still with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, came on the following feet, and a voice above their beat, Naught shelters thee, who wilt not shelter me. I sought no more that after which I strayed in face or man or maid, but still within the little children's eyes seems something, something that replies. They at least are for me, surely for me. I turned me to them very wistfully. But just as their young eyes grew sudden fair with dawning answers there, their angel plunk, plucked them from me by the hair. Come then, ye other children, nature's. Share with me, said I, your delicate fellowship. Let me greet you lip to lip. Let me twine you with caresses, wantoning with Our Lady Mother's vagrant tresses, banqueting with her in her wind-walled palace underneath her azure di uh, dais, quaffing as your taintless way is from a chalice, loosened weeping out of the day spring. So it was done. I, in their delicate fellowship, was one, drew the bolt of nature's secrecies. I knew all the swift importings on the willful face of skies. I knew how the clouds arise, spumed of the wild sea snortings. All that's born or dies, rose and drooped with, made them shapers of mine own moods, or willful or divine, with them joyed and was bereaven. I was heavy with the even when she lit her glimmering tapers round the day's dead sanctities. I laughed in the morning's eyes. I, I triumphed, and I saddened with all weather. Heaven and I wept together, and its sweet tears were salt 
with mortal mine. Against the red throb of the sunset heart I laid mine own to beat and share commingling heat, but not by that, by that was eased my human smart. In vain my tears were wet on heaven's gray cheek, for ah, we know not what each other says. These things and I, in sound I speak. Their sound is but their stir. They speak by silences. Nature, poor stepdame, cannot slake my draught. Let her, if she would own me, drop yon blue bosom veil of sky and show me the breasts of her tenderness. Never did any milk of hers, once blessed by thirsting mouth, Nigh and die, draws the chase with unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. And past those noised feet, a voice comes yet more fleet. Lo, naught contents thee, who contents not me. Naked I wake thy love's uplifted stroke. My harness piece by piece thou hast hewn from me and smitten me to my knees. I am defenseless utterly. I slept, methinks, and woke, and slowly gazing find me stripped in sleep. And the rash, lusty head of my young powers I shook the pillaring hours, and pulled my life upon me, grimed with smears, I stand amid the dust of the mounded years. My mangled youth lies dead beneath the heap, my days have cracked and gone up in smoke, have puffed and burst as sun starts on a stream. Yea, faileth now even dream the dreamer and the lute the lutenist, even the linked fantasies, in whose blossomy twist I swung the earth, a trinket at my wrist are yielding, cords of all too weak account for earth with heavy griefs so overplussed. Ah, is thy love indeed a weed, albeit an amaranthine weed, suffering no flower except its own demount? Ah, must designer infinite? Ah, must thou char the wood, ere thou canst limb with it? My freshness spent its wavering shower in the dust, and now my heart is as a broken fount, wherein tear-drippings stagnate, spilt down ever from the dank thoughts that shiver upon the sighful branches of my mind. Such is what is to be. The pulp so bitter, how shall taste the rind? I dimly guess what time in mists confounds, yet ever and anon a trumpet sounds from the hid battlements of eternity. Those shaken mists a space unsettle, then round the half-glimpsed turrets slowly wash again. But not ere him who summoneth I first have seen and wound with the glooming robes purpureal, cypress crowned. His name I know and what his trumpet saith. 
whether man's heart or life it be which yields, which yields thee harvest. Must thy harvest fields be dunged with rotten death? Now of that long pursuit comes on at hand the brute. That voice is round me like a bursting sea. And is thy earth so marred, shattered in shard upon shard, though all things fly thee, for thou fliest me? Strange, piteous, futile thing, wherefore should any set thee love apart? Seeing none but I make much of naught, he said, and human love needs human meriting, how hast thou merited of all man's clotted clay the dingiest clot? Alas, thou knowest not how little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee I did take not for thy harm, but just that thou mightest seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies is lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. Halts by me that footfall. Is my gloom, after all, shade of his hand, outstretched caressingly? Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from thee, who dravest me. I'm going to turn now to something very different. I mentioned the uh, 101 famous poems. One of the poems which almost everyone, I believe, in my classes memorized, urged to do so by the teachers, was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's A Psalm of Life. And I think it means something that uh, school children in my day knew this by heart and could recite it or passages from it uh, at the drop of a hat. Wadsworth, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, A Psalm of Life. Tell me not in more mournful numbers life is but an empty dream, for the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way, but to act that each tomorrow finds us farther than today. Art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. In the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb, driven cattle, be a hero in the strife.
Trust no future, howe'er pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act, act in the living present, heart within and God overhead. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time, footprints that perhaps another sailing o'er life's solemn uh, main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother seeing shall take heart again. Let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing. Learn to labor and to wait. Well, now I'm going to turn to uh, another poem, one which I regard as a classic, not too well known nowadays, but it's a poem written by Charles Wolfe who died in 1823. The title is The Burial of Sir John Moore. The dispatch reporting the death of Sir John Moore in the Napoleonic Wars in Spain is a very prosaic, matter-of-fact one. And yet the poem is almost identical. What Charles Wolfe did was, with a slight arrangement, to turn a dispatch into a poem. Sir John Moore was in his day a great military leader. He died on the battlefield as they were retreating. And he was hastily buried in the hard ground. They turned the sod, they dug the grave with bayonets. The burial of Sir John Moore. Not a drum was heard, not a funeral note. As his course to the rampart we hurried. Not a soldier discharged his farewell shot or the grave where our hero we buried. We buried him darkly at dead of night, the sods with our bayonets turning by the struggling moonbeam's misty light and the lantern dimly burning. No useless coffin enclosed his breast, not in sheet or in shroud we wound him, but he lay like a warrior taking his rest with his martial cloak around him. Few and short were the prayers we said, and we spoke not a word of sorrow, but we steadfastly gazed on the face that was dead, and we bitterly thought of the morrow. We thought as we hollowed his narrow bed and smoothed down his lonely pillow that the foe and the stranger would tread o'er his head and we far away on the billow. Lightly they'll talk of the spirit that's gone, and o'er his cold ashes upbraid him, but little he'll wreck if they'll let him sleep on in the grave where a Briton has laid him. 
but half of our weary task was done when the clock struck the note for retiring, and we heard the distant and random gun of the enemy sullenly firing. Slowly and sadly, we laid him down from the field of his fame, fresh and gory. We carved not a line, and we raised not a stone, but we left him alone with his glory. Well, very beautiful poem, and a very moving one, I think. Let us uh, turn now to a very lovely one by Rupert Brooke, The Great Lover, a young British poet who died in World War I. I remember this poem especially because some years ago there was a woman whose life was full of sadness, but you would never know it because she was a joyful Christian. She worked as a nurse into her 70s until she had a stroke and some more complications that left her crippled, needing a walker, and also legally blind. Her house was book-lined. She loved those books. Just the feel of them made her feel rich now in her blindness. She would take care of herself, cook for herself, had a neighbor lady, a friend, check on her two or three times a day to make sure she was up, to make sure she was not down because on occasion she would fall and she would lie there citing Bible verses and favorite poems until the neighbor lady came. And in the evening, the a neighbor would check to make sure she was safely in bed. This was a poem I introduced her to, and I would go there and I'd read scripture to her and also Occasionally, some things, prose and poetry, that delighted her, but nothing as much as this poem. She would exclaim in delight over various phrases. In this poem, Rupert Brooke, the great lover, speaks of his love for simple, ordinary, everyday things. And to Ellen in her blindness, Ellen Larkin, the same was true. 
She was a joyful woman, even in her loneliness and in her blindness. I have been so great a lover, filled my days so proudly with a splendor of love's praise. The pain, the calm, and the astonishment, desire illimitable, and still content. And all dear names men use to cheat despair, for the perplexed and viewless streams that bear our hearts at random down the dark of life, now ere the unthinking silence on that strife steals down, I would cheat drowsy death so far my night shall be remembered for a star that outshone all the suns all of all men's days. Shall I not crown them with immortal praise whom I have loved, who have given me, dared with me high secrets, and in darkness knelt to see the inarable godhead of delight? Love is a flame. And we have beaconed the world's night, a city, and we have built it, these and I. An emperor, and we have taught the world to die. So for their sakes I love, ere I go, and the high cause of love's magnificence, and to keep loyalties young. I'll write these names, golden forever, eagles, crying flames, and set them on a banner that men may know to share the generations burn and blow out on the wind of time shining and streaming. These I have loved. White plates and cups, clean and gleaming, ringed with blue lines and feathery fairy dust. Wet roots, wet roofs beneath the lamplight the strong crust of friendly bread and many-tasting food, rainbows, and the blue bitter smoke of wood, and radiant raindrops couching in cool flowers, and flowers themselves that sway through sunny hours, dreaming of moths that drink them under the moon. Then the cool kindliness of sheets that soon smooth away trouble, and the rough male kiss of blankets, grainy wood, live hair that is shining and free, blue massing clouds, the keen, unpassioned beauty of a great machine, the benison of hot water, furs to touch, the good smell of old clothes and others such, the comfortable smell of friendly fingers, hair as fragrance, and the musty reek that lingers about dry leaves and last year's ferns. Dear names, and thousand others throng to me, royal flames, sweet waters, dimpling laugh from tap or spring, holes in the ground, and voices that do sing, voices and laughter, too, and body's pain soon turned to peace, and the deep panting train 
firm sands, the little dulling edge of foam that browns and dwindles as the wave goes home, and washing stones gay for an hour, the cold graveness of iron, moist black earthen mold, sleep and high places, footprints in the dew and oaks, and brown horse chestnuts glossy new, and new-peeled sticks and shining pools and grass, all these have been my loves, and these shall pass. Whatever passes not in the great hour, nor all my passion, all my prayers have power to hold them with me through the gate of death. Thou play deserter, turn with a traitor breath, break the high bond we made, and sell love's trust and sacramented covenant to the dust. Oh, never a doubt, but somewhere I shall wake and give what's left of love again and make new friends now strangers. But the best I've known stays here and changes, breaks, grows old, is blown about the winds of the world and fades from brains of living men and dies. Nothing remains. Oh, dear, my loves, oh, faithless, once again this one last gift I give, that after men shall know and later lovers far removed praise you. All these were lovely, say, he loved. Well, now to go to uh, something a bit different, if I can locate it. <laughs> But uh, one of the interesting poets of uh, our time was Gilbert Keith Chesterton. And his poem, Lepanto, is one of the classics of the English language. It's an unusual poem with an unusual theme. Lepanto was one of the great battles of history, a sea battle, one of the greatest. And Don Juan of Austria was in command. It was a battle of various allies Spain in particular, against the Turks. It turned the tide against the Turkish power. Don Juan of Austria was the great hero. Don Juan was a very interesting man in that he was the illegitimate son of Philip II a particularly able man, whereas the legitimate heir and future king was, to put it kindly, an idiot and an evil one at that. What Philip wanted for Don Juan was a kingdom. 
He died later in another war trying to gain it. White founts falling in the courts of the sun, and the Sultan of Byzantium is smiling as they run. There is laughter like the fountains. In that face of all men feared, it stirs the forest darkness, the darkness of his beard. It curls the blood-red crescent, the crescent of his lips, for the inmost sea of all the earth is shaken with his ships. They have dared the white republics up the capes of Italy. They have dashed the Adriatic round the lion of the sea. And the Pope has cast his arms abroad for agony and loss, and called the kings of Christendom for swords about the cross. The cold Queen of England is looking in the glass. The shadow of the Valois is yawning at the mass. From evening isles fantastical rings faint the Spanish gun, and the Lord upon the golden horn is laughing in the sun. Dim drums throbbing in the hills half heard, where only on a nameless throne a crownless prince has stirred, arisen from a doubtful seat and half a tainted stall, the last knight of Europe takes weapons from the wall. The last and lingering troubadour to whom the bird has sung, that once went singing southward when all the world was young. In that enormous silence, tiny and, and unafraid, comes up along a winding road the noise of the crusade. Strong gongs groaning as the guns boom far. Don John of Austria is going to the war. Stiff flags straining in the night blast cold, in the gloom black purple and the glint old gold. Torchlight crimson on the copper kettle drums, then the tuckets on the trumpets, then the cannons, and he comes, Don John laughing, in the brave beard curled, spurning of his stirrups like the thrones of all the world, holding his head up for a flag of all the free. Love light of Spain, hurrah, death light of Africa, Don John of Austria is riding to the sea. Mahound is in his paradise above the evening star. John, Don John of Austria is going to the war. He moves a mighty turban on the timeless Hauri's knee, his turban that is woven of the sunsets and the seas. He shakes the peacock gardens as he rises from his ease. And he strides among the treetops and is taller than the trees, and his voice through all the garden is a thunder sent to bring Black Azrael and Ariel and Ammon on the wing, giants and the genie, multiplex of wing and eye, whose strong obedience broke the sky when Solomon was king. They rush in red and purple from the red clouds of the morn, from temples where the yellow gods shut up their eyes in scorn. They rise in green robes roaring from the green hills of the sea, where fallen skies and evil hues and eyeless creatures be. On them the sea valves cluster and the gray sea forests curl, splashed with a splendid sickness, the sickness of the pearl. They swell in sapphire smoke out of the blue cracks of the ground. They gather and they wonder and give worship to Mahound. And he saith, Break up the mountains, where the hermit folk can hide, and sift the red and silver sands, lest bones of saint abide, and chase the gaurs flying night and day, 
not giving rest, for that which was our trouble comes again out of the west. We have set the seal of Solomon on, on all things under sun, of knowledge and of sorrow, and endurance of things done. But a noise is in the mountains and the mountains, and I know the voice that shook our palaces four hundred years ago. It is he that saith not kismet. It is he that knows not fate. It is Richard. It is Raymond. It is Godfrey in the gate. It is he whose loss is laughter when he counts the wager worth. Put down your feet upon him that are peace beyond the earth. For he heard drums groaning and he heard guns jar. Don John of Austria is going to the war. Sudden and still, hurrah! Bolt from Iberia, Don John of Austria is gone by Alcalar. St. Michael's on his mountain in his sea roads of the north. Don John of Austria is girt and going forth, where the gray seas glitter and the sharp tides shift, and the sea folk labor and the red sails lift. He shakes his lance of iron, and he claps his wings of stone. The noise has gone through Normandy. The noise is gone alone. The north is full of things and texts and aching eyes, and dead is all the innocence of anger and surprise. And Christian killeth Christian in a narrow, dusty room, and Christian dreadeth Christ that hath a newer face of doom. And Christian hateth Mary that God kissed in Galilee, but Don John of Austria is riding to the sea. Don John calling through the blast and the eclipse, crying with a trumpet and the trumpet of his lips. Trumpet that saith, Ha, Domino Gloria, Don John of Austria shouting to the ships. King Philip's in his closet with a fleece about his neck. Don John of Austria is armed upon the deck. The walls are hung with velvet that is black and soft as sin, and little dwarfs creep out of it, and little dwarfs creep in. He holds a crystal phial that has colors like the moon. He touches and it tingles, and he trembles very soon. And his face is as a fungus of a leprous white and gray-like plants in the high houses that are shuttered from the day. And death is in the phial and the end of noble work. But Don John of Austria is fired upon the turf. Don John's hunting, and his hounds obeyed. Booms away past Italy the rumor of his raid. Gun upon gun, ha, ha, gun upon gun, hurrah. Don John of Austria has loosed the cannonade. The Pope was in his chapel. Before day or battle broke, Don John of Austria is hidden in the smoke. The hidden room in man's house where God sits all the year, the secret window whence the world looks small and very dear. He sees, as in a mirror on the monstrous twilight sea, the crescent of his cruel ships whose name is mystery. They fling great shadows forwards, making cross and castle dark. They veil the plumed lions on the galleys of St. Mark, and above the ships are palaces of brown, black-bearded chiefs, and below the ships are prisons where, with multitudinous griefs, Christian captives, sick and sunless, 
all a laboring race repines like a race in sunken cities like a nation in the mines they are lost like slaves slaves that swat and in the skies of morning hung the stairways of the tallest gods where in tyranny was young they are countless voiceless hopeless as those fallen are fleeing on before the high king's horses in the granite of babylon and many a one grows witless in his quiet room in hell where a yellow face looks inward through the lattice of his cell and he finds his god forgotten and he seeks no more a sign but don john of austria has burst the battle line don john's pounding from the slaughter painted poop purpling all the ocean like a bloody pirate sloop scarlet running over the silvers and the golds breaking of the hatches up and bursting of the holds thronging of the sound thousands up that labor under sea white for bliss and blind for sun and stunned for liberty viva hispania domino gloria don john of austria has set his people free cervantes on his galley sets the sword back in the sheath don john of austria rides homeward with a wreath and he sees across a weary land a struggling road in spain of which a lean and foolish knight forever rides in vain and he smiles but not a sultan's smile and settles back the blade but don john of austria rides home from the crusade cervantes was in that battle and later wrote don quixote well if you have enjoyed this tape and would want another one like it please drop us a line and let us know Thank you for listening.